You are listening to the City on a Hill DFW Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church or to support these ministries, visit us at cityonahilldfw.com. Good morning. Some of you are going, oh no. You got to be kidding me. Derek had a rough week this week, and uh, he looks a lot older than he normally does. <clears throat> Actually, you know, uh, I showed up for the 8 o'clock service this morning, and I told him, I said, you know, there's something wrong with you people. 8 o'clock is too darn early for church. I had to get up at 4 o'clock to get my makeup on and my hair fixed to get here at 8 o'clock. And then, then there's this, this guy here fancies himself a preacher and he's got a stocking cap on and singing. I mean, this place has gone to hell in a handbasket since I retired. <laughs> you got to look pastorally, you know, like me. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. Derek has been teaching verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, when he asked me about stepping in this, uh, this morning, he said, can you just continue on with Mark? And I said, absolutely. What is it? He said, chapter 4. And I said, man, that's one of my favorite texts in the New Testament. It's a great story. So you bet you, booty, I'll, 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 I'll do that. And I love this text, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. It's a parable that Jesus told. Jesus often taught in parables because parables paint a picture. And his parables were always about the kingdom of God. Ultimately, it comes right down to it. The heart of all of Jesus' parables was to teach truths about the kingdom of God. And in this particular parable, there are three, uh, <clears throat> three elements. First of all, there's a sower. In other words, he's a farmer, okay? He's the guy that goes out and sows the seed in the field. And then there is the seed that he's sowing because you see, he wants to have a harvest and that's why he sows seed so that he can get a harvest. And then ultimately there's the field in which he is sowing the seed. So this is an agricultural story as were many of Jesus' stories because he lived in an agricultural community. I, I, I remember as a little boy, you know my, many of you that have been around here for a while <clears throat> know my story, how quickly people forget. As a matter of fact, there's been some new folks that have come to the church and, and somebody uh, said, uh, I've heard this James Reeves guy, who is that? And I thought, man, how quickly they forget, you know, after 40 years, but the new folks come in and say, who is that guy? Well, you're going to get to find out who that guy is this morning. And you may regret it, but you're going to get to find out. But as a kid, my dad was a desperate alcoholic and so, and he was an oil-filled roughneck. And, uh, you know, so as a little kid, we lived, we just moved around all over the place because he would go to work on an oil rig and then he'd go on a, on a bench and <clears throat> he'd lose his job. So we'd, we'd stay that place for one while and then we'd just pack up and put everything in the trunk of the car because we didn't own anything but our clothes. So everything we owned could go in the trunk of the car and we'd move to the next burg and he'd go to work up on a, on a, a drilling rig until he went on another bench and then we'd move. And it finally took a divorce for me to wind up in Monahans, Texas, where I actually kind of kind of grew up. But in these early years, it was just town after town after town. In fact, I went to three schools my first grade year. Now that explains a whole lot about me, doesn't it? Okay, you can come begin to kind of understand me. But in between, sometimes we would land on my mother, my grandmother's cotton farm. My grandmother had a cotton farm out in rural Texas. It's a 70-acre farm, 
And so in between these moves, we'd sometimes go and we'd live there for, you know, for a little while with her. And sometimes it would be in the planting season. And so they'd be out there, you know, they'd be out there, they'd be plowing and getting ready to plant the seed and they'd plant the seed. Sometimes it would be in the growing season. Sometimes the, the cotton stalks would be about like this and the, the bowls were still green and they were, you know, they're still closed up. And then sometimes it would actually be in the harvest season. And that was always my favorite time on my grandmother's farm because those cotton bowls, you know, they open up like that and that beautiful white cotton is in there. And there's nothing more beautiful than a, than a field of white cotton bowls. And that would be the harvest time. Now, they didn't have machinery to do this back then. That's how old I am, all right? They were picked by hand. And so migrant laborers would come through and, and, and they would work for four or five months and go back into Mexico and basically were able to support themselves for the whole year with that work. And then sometimes they'd let me get out and pick the cotton and I had, they'd give me a five-pound potato sack and I'd go up there and put the bowls. Any of you old enough to remember how cotton was picked back, you know, back in the day like that? And then go over and weigh it and they typically were paid uh, by the pound. And I have some, a handful of good memories, I guess, from childhood, early childhood, and that's a few of them. And all of the elements of this parable are in that story on my grandmother's farm. There was a farmer, there was a sower, went out and sowed the cotton seed, and then waited for the full harvest, and then the harvest had to come in. The farmer's important, the seed is important, but the most critical thing in agriculture is the soil. It's all about the soils. You can have a great farmer that knows everything there is about agriculture. They can have perfect seed, but if the soil is bad, you're not going to get a harvest. The soil is the key. The dirt is the most important thing of all. I have a good friend in Detroit, Michigan, who's a, a former Detroit police officer, uh, 20 years there on the, on the police force there. I uh, helped him start a church about a year and a half ago, just outside of Detroit. In fact, I talked with him yesterday. And uh, he always did the midnight shift, okay? Now, he had kids, so he wanted to be there with his kids, you know, when they went to school, be there when they, you know, when they got home. And so he would work. And I can promise you, there ain't nothing good happening on the streets of Detroit after midnight. So this guy has some incredible stories. But one of them that was just funny to me I, you know, I, I'd ask him questions. He'd say, I said, well, what did you do, John? What, what would you do when they'd take off, when they'd run from you? He said, did that ever happen? He said, oh, yeah. Any of you police officers, you know, sometimes they run. I said, what happens? He said, it always ends in the dirt. <laughs> Isn't that funny? A cop, he's going to run. It's going to end in the dirt. We're going to the dirt. In spiritual things, that same, that same thing is true. It always ends up with the dirt. The dirt is the most important thing. It's going to end in the dirt. And so really the story that Jesus tells this morning is not so much about the sower, although that's an important element. It's not so much about the seed, although that's important. But the story that Jesus tells this morning really focuses on the dirt. It focuses on the soil. Since the soil is the most important, that's where we're going to focus. But first... We need to talk about the sower, and we need to talk a minute about the seed, just to get this clear that we all understand where we're going. And then we're gonna, I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to spend the bulk of my time on the soil. First of all, let's talk about the sower. Verse 3, Mark, Mark 4, Jesus says, the sower went out to sow. Now that's the farmer, okay? He plants a crop, he plants a crop because he wants a harvest. And so in the parable, who is the sower? 
Well, it could be Jesus. Because the scripture says that Jesus went out scattering the message of the kingdom of God. It could be the disciples because Jesus sent the disciples out to share the kingdom. It could be us because we've been called to go out into the world and scatter the seed. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we're called witnesses. What does a witness do? Witnesses tell us what they know. In Romans 10, 14, we're called heralds. We're called town announcers. We're to go out and announce the good news of the kingdom of God. In Mark 4, we're farmers. Some of you city folk, you've never been around a farm. Well, you get to be a farmer because you're called to sow the seed, okay? So that's the sower. Let's go to the seed then. This is not really uh, any shocker. We've already kind of given the suspense away, haven't we? What is the seed? Well, Mark tells us in verse 13 that the seed is the word. It's the word. That's... That's the seed that's being sown here. When Matthew's telling of this story, of this parable, Matthew carries it further, and he said it is the word of the kingdom of God. He, he draws it even closer. So this, this is the seed. So we've got these sowers. We've got these witnesses. We've got these town announcers that are going out and that are announcing this message, giving witness to this testimony, and scattering the seed. And the seed is the word of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel. It's the good news. The Apostle Peter carries that imagery of the gospel being like a seed in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. When he says, you have not been born again of seed which is imperishable, but, you are, but it is imperishable. That is through the living and the enduring word of God. So Peter carries this imagery of this parable that he actually had been with Jesus when Jesus told. And he says, you know, that's the seed that is imperishable. It is the seed of the kingdom of God. And that is how we are born into the kingdom. So we have a sower and we have a seed. And we're rocking along, aren't we? Two out of my three points, I'm already finished. You go, man, we're going to go home early. No, you're not. <laughs> Don't even get your hopes up. Expectations are the seedbed of resentment, aren't they? You could resent me if you expect to go home early. I'm just not going to let you do it. So let's talk about the soil because that's really the heart. It's about the dirt here. It really does. It ends in the dirt. Now, Matthew, in his telling of the parable explains to us, and we could figure it out from Mark's, but Matthew specifically says that the soil here represents the human heart. So the sower, Jesus, the disciples, or us, is sowing the seed, which is the word of the kingdom of God, and where is that seed landing? It's landing on the human heart. And what is it that determines if there is a harvest? The condition of the heart. It always comes down to the dirt. It always comes down to the soil. It always comes down to the condition of the heart. So Jesus spends the rest of the parable talking about the dirt. Talking about the soil. In fact, he says there are four different kinds of soil where the seed of the word of the kingdom can fall. In other words, there are different hearts upon which the word of the gospel falls, and depending upon the condition of the heart, you either get a harvest or you don't. Now, I got a little creative with how I'm going to talk about these hearts because I really want to kind of, in the way that I refer to it, I want to give you a little bit of indication of 
what Jesus means by each one of these particular types of heart. First of all, Jesus says in verse 4 that some of the seed falls on what I'm going to call the petrified heart. Verse 4, Jesus said, some fell on the pathway and the birds came along and devoured it. Now, why were the birds able to get this seed so quickly? Well, because it fell on the path and the pathway had been walked on so much that the seed just sat right there on the surface and, and it had no soil. And so it was right there on the surface so the birds could see it and they came and they snatched it up. And so this soil where the first seed lands is like petrified wood. It's like a petrified rock. How many of you were fascinated with petrified rocks when you were a kid? I mean, I, 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 I can remember that. I can remember going, really, that is cool. I hold it up and, and somebody tell me, you know, that used to be wood. And I go, come on, man, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I was born yesterday. I, you know, I, I, I'm not that stupid. No, really. They said, this one time was wood and it turned to stone. Wow. And as I got a little bit older, I discovered what that process is called. It's called permineralization. Now, you can impress your friends with that. Say, say it, boys and girls. Don't say Jesus. That's a Sunday school answer. Permineralization. And what happens is that piece of wood sits there, and over time, with the moisture and, and all this kind of stuff, minerals begin to replace the organic material. And over the course of time, those minerals, they bind together. And what used to be a piece of wood now has become a piece of rock. And it's very solid, right? I mean, it's, it's hard and it's heavy. And I remember being fascinated by that. Well, Jesus is saying here that this is the condition of this heart. That at one time, there was, it, it was organic. At one time, perhaps it was soft. At one time, it was perhaps pliable. But something has happened over the course of time. And this heart has turned to stone. Some people are like that, Jesus says. Sometimes you're going to cast the seed of the kingdom of God and it's going to fall on a rock. It's going to fall on that path that is going to be as hard as petrified wood. Now, that doesn't mean that this person can't understand what the gospel says. In fact, sometimes these people are very quite educated in the Bible. They've studied a great deal. And they, they know the, the essence of the message of the kingdom. The problem is they just don't see any value to it. They don't see that it has any meaning or purpose or relevance to their life. So their heart has just become like a packed down path in between the rows or at the end where the farmer has walked and has walked and walked and as he's casting the seed by hand, some of it falls on that path and it just sits there and the birds take it away. It can't penetrate. I recently read on social media to my distress, quite frankly, a statement that a girl made. A girl, actually, I've known her since she was a little. She's in her 30s now. She's married. She's a grown adult. I watched her grow up. I know some of the story of her life. I know some of the things that happened, some good, some bad. But she made this statement on social media that really struck me. It said, all this Christian S, and you can spell the rest of the word for yourself, just isn't for me. All this Christian doo-doo. <laughs> Come on, folks. 
isn't for me. And I thought, wow, I knew her when she was little, a, a, a little girl running around full of joy, having fun. I watched her in high school. I even followed her while she was in college. And now that tender heart is like hard as a rock. And she looks at the message of Christ that she knows. She knows the message. She grew up hearing the message. She understood the message. But she's saying now, it has no meaning for me. It has no relevance for me. It's fallen upon a petrified heart. Jesus encountered these kinds of hearts quite often. Most often he referred to them as the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the Jews. And in Mark chapter 3 verse 5 after Jesus has been teaching the Pharisees and it was everything he said was just landing on the hardened heart. It was just landing on the path and it says that Jesus was grieved because of the hardness of their heart. Their hearts had become so packed down with their own personal religiosity, their religious legalism, their jotting every uh, I and crossing every T and all of those things that when Jesus came preaching a, a gospel of grace, they couldn't get it. It had to be works. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. And over the course of time, their hearts had become so hard that when Jesus said, no, it's about the goodness and the grace of God, that seed landed on that petrified, legalistic heart. Couldn't penetrate. I thought about it this week. You know, 45 years as a senior pastor and 10 years, about, about 10 years before that as a staff member through college and seminary and all those kinds of things. Adds up to about 55 years of ministry or about 50 years of ministry. And, and I, I, you know, I've, I've seen a lot in people's lives. I've, I've struggled with things in my own life. And I understand personally how, how the heart can, can change. And, I, and I've watched people and I thought, you know, what causes a heart to become hardened? What, what are the things that can cause a heart to become like this packed down path? between the rows. Sometimes it's disappointment with life. I've known people that were so disappointed with life that their hearts just, be, their hearts just became hard to anything of hope. Because you see, life, they had it mapped out. This is what life is going to look like for me. And, and it just didn't work out that way. And they were so disappointed with where life had taken them that there was no, that their hearts just had the shell of hardness around it. Sometimes it happens with disillusion with people. You know, the truth of the matter is, folks, people are just not that good, right? We're just not that good, are we? And we just do some bad stuff to each other. And, you, you know, you live on planet Earth long enough, you're going to be, man, you're going to be disillusioned by people. They're going to be abandoned. People are going to abandon you. They're going to abuse you. They're going to betray you. And if you allow it to do so, it can cause your heart to become so cynical that anything good or of value, the seed just lands and just dies. Birds just come and take it away. Sometimes it's the destruction of hope. You know, we start off like the young girl did that I mentioned on social media, you know, with hope, looking ahead. There's hope, there's hope. And then life becomes a struggle. Have you figured out that life is a struggle? Come on. I mean, get honest with me, man. This is, living on planet Earth... Uh, as 
in a fallen world, it's just not easy, is it, sometimes? And, and sometimes you can look and, and, and then just hope just eventually over time in the struggle, you just give up. You give up hope. Romans 5.5, 5, the scripture reminds us that hope does not disappoint us. When we are disappointed, it's not hope that has disappointed us. It is the loss of hope that disappoints. So he says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, hope doesn't disappoint, but we can become so disillusioned with people that we give up hope. But hope itself never disappoints. And when we get into that condition, our hearts are like the hardened path and we can hear the message of hope and we can hear the message even of the gospel, but it just bounces off because the heart has just become hopeless. It's petrified, the hard path. The second soul is what I'm going to call the party heart. Verse 5 and 6, Jesus says, and some of the other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had, but because it had no depth of soil, and after the sun had risen, it was scorched. So it came, it sprouted real quick because it wasn't very deep, and so immediately you see results, but then the sun comes out, and it scorches it, and because it didn't have any root, Jesus says, it withered away. You see, the petrified heart has no soil, so the birds can get it. The party heart only has a thin layer of soil. It has some soil, but it's only a thin layer. But it's not enough for the roots to go down. And so the first time the sun comes out, it just scorches it because it has no depth of root. It's not going to be able to bear fruit. And, you know, it's really interesting. If you understand the land of Jesus, the land of Israel, you'll understand this illustration very, very quickly. Basically, the land of Israel is just one giant rock. There is a layer of limestone that covers virtually every square foot of the land of Israel. And in order to farm that, you have to break that rock up, get it out so that the soil beneath it is a place that the, that the, 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 the seed can take root. And quite frankly, just as an aside, that's what makes what has happened in modern Israel such a miracle. You know, the prophet, the Old Testament prophet says that they would make the desert bloom. That's basically what they've done. The modern day state of Israel, they have literally made the desert bloom. But in order to do that, they had to get rid of all that rock so that the seed then could go down into the soil. Now, in, in Jesus' day, they had no machinery like they have in modern Israel to do. It had to be done by hand. So if a farmer wanted to have a little plot of land that he was going to plant to provide for his family, first thing he had to do is go in and start breaking up that layer of limestone and start carrying the rock out and getting rid of it. And then he could, you know, make these rows and he could plant his crops, but he could never get all the, the rock out. So there was always some places where there was some rock. And so as he's scattering the seed, some of it's going to fall where there's just a, a piece of rock underneath and there's just a thin layer of soil. And it's going to be like Jesus said, it can't get depth of root. So when the sun comes up and immediately scorches it and it dies. 
In verse 16 and 17, Jesus explains who this person is. He says, this represents the person who hears the word of the kingdom and immediately receives the word with joy, but then trouble comes, immediately falls away. Okay? So here's the, immediately sprouts, little thin layer of soil, looking good, looking good. Sun comes out, scorches it, dies. Receives the message of hope in Christ with joy, but then the first trouble that comes along, what happens? It dies. Now, folks, understand something. Jesus is not saying this person lost their salvation. What he's saying is they represent a person who never had it. What they had was a very shallow understanding of the message. Now, hang with me here because this is very, very important. They had... They had no root. They had a very shallow understanding of the message of the kingdom of God and of the message of, of grace. And when, son, when trouble came along, this is what they said. Wait a minute. This is not what I signed on for. This wasn't what I was agreeing to. What did this person who has a shallow understanding of the message of the kingdom sign on to? Well, they signed on for the perks, man. They didn't sign on for persecution. They signed on for the blessing. They didn't sign on for the brokenness. They signed on for the triumph. It's going to have victory in Jesus. They didn't sign on for the trial. And so when the persecution came or the brokenness came or the trial came, they said, this is not what I signed on for. This is not what they told me I was going to get. And they go away. They thought the Christian life was all about puppy dog tails and pampering. And I like puppy dog tails. And I don't, don't mind being pampered every now and then. But that ain't the message of the gospel. That's not the message of the gospel. So when struggle comes along, they go, wait a minute. I'm bailing out of here. This is not what I signed on for. You see, this person doesn't come to Christ. Hear this, please hear me. Does not come to Christ in faith. They come to Christ in the flesh. They come for Self. There have always been people who have preached a shallow gospel. I don't know if we have more of them that are doing it today than we ever have in history. Maybe it's just because we're more aware of it because of communication is so instant. We have an opportunity to tune into them sometimes. I don't know. But I know even in the early days of the church, Paul wrote many of the letters to the churches to, to counter the false gospels that were being preached. And so Paul would write the letters to correct them doctrinally. And so this has always been a problem. But there seems to be this thing in our world today that we just hear all the time of preachers preaching a shallow gospel and people believing the shallow gospel. And what it basically boils down to is the preaching that Jesus is a genie in the bottle to come out and do your bidding whenever you want him to. And so, you know, Jesus is in this bottle and you get your tail in the crack where you rub the bottle and the genie comes out, gets you out of the crack and you put him back on, put him on the, on the mantle and he's there ready at your beck and call to come dig you out the next time you get in trouble. And for this reason, I've always called out the health and wealth false prophets. I will make no apology for saying that. Health and wealth gospel is a false gospel. 
It is a shallow gospel. Now, some people get upset, James, you shouldn't be calling out other preachers. Well, I will if I look at the scripture and what they're preaching is not the gospel of Christ. I'm called to call it out. And so are you. But you listen to this message and it's all about come and get. Come and get, man. This is what Jesus wants for you. Come and get all the prosperity that God wants you to have. Come and get all the health that you want. That is a shallow message that is for self. It appeals to the flesh, not to faith. Because the gospel of Jesus doesn't say come and get. The gospel of Jesus says come and die. Those are two different messages, aren't they? The gospel of, of, of health and wealth and the gospel that is a shallow gospel says come and get all that you want and the gospel of Jesus says give everything you have. Take up that cross. Now there's a big difference, isn't there? Is there a big difference there or is it just me? I mean, even Jesus faced that. People followed Jesus for all the wrong reasons, not because he preached the gospel, but because of that's what they wanted. Check John chapter 6 out. I think it's about 66 verses, one of the longest chapters in the Bible. Don't read it right now, read it later. On your time. This is my time. John chapter 6 starts off with Jesus teaching all day with a crowd of people. At the end of the day, you think my sermons are long, Jesus preached all day. And the people hadn't eaten. They were hungry. 5,000 of them, it says. So scripture says that Jesus just did one of his things that he was able to do. And as God in the flesh, he divided the fish and the bread and fed the whole crowd. Then Jesus moves on down the road. Guess what? People followed him. And they're following him by the thousands. Who wouldn't? Wow. He's like a food cart. <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate roach coach. He's always there when we need to eat. Let's go, man. He, look at what that dude did. Let's follow him. He'll feed us. He's our meal ticket. And they did. They followed him. Why? To serve him? No, for him to serve them. They followed him for what they could get from him. And after a while, John records in John chapter 6 that Jesus turned and began to speak to them about crucifixion about death, about what it meant to follow him. <laughs> That's not what we signed on here, bro. We just want three meals and a cot, okay? I mean, that's all we want. We're not interested in this crucifixion stuff and all this death stuff and all that. No, 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 no. That's not what we're signing on for. In fact, verse 60 of chapter 6 says, when they heard it, what Jesus was saying, they said, this is a hard saying. <laughs> yeah. Who can listen to it? Folks, the true gospel is a hard saying, isn't it? Deny yourself? That's a hard saying. Take up your cross? That's a hard saying. Not easy to hear. And they said, now wait a minute. That's not what we bought into we just want to follow you so that next time we're hungry, you can feed us. And Jesus said, no, it's about dying. It's about crucifixion. And the verse goes on and says, and Jesus knew that they were grumbling against him. John goes on in verse 66 and he says, and after this, many of his followers turned back 
and no longer walked with him. They said, well, that's not what we're following you for. We're following you for what we can get. You see, they were shallow soil. Immediately sprung up and said, yeah, what a man, what a guy. Let's latch our wagon to him and get the goodies until he turned and gave them the hard sayings. And they said, no, it's gone. They were seated on the rocks. Joy at being fed, but no joy at being dead. I thought all week how I'd say that. <laughs> dead balloons. Maybe the third service is smarter than you. <clears throat> but then at this point, it really gets tense because Jesus turned then to the 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, the 12 disciples that he called that would later become the 12 apostles. As they're leaving, because they've just figured out he's not a free ticket, he turns to them, he says, would you leave also? Boy, that's a penetrating question. What are you going to do? It's time to separate the sheep from the goats, right? It's time to separate the disciples from the dropouts. Peter spoke up, verse 68. And you can almost hear the, the submission in his voice, the, ah, what's the word? Think of one, and that's what I meant. <laughs> I used to be much sharper than this. I wasn't as pretty as I am now, but I was much sharper. <laughs> Verse 68, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Isn't that good? That's a mic drop moment, folks. That's not people that signed on for what they can get. That's people that signed on in desperation. There's nowhere else to go. Why would we leave you? You alone have the words of life. You see, the party heart is in it for the benefits. Now get this. The kind of preaching that leaves out repentance, taking up the cross, denying yourself, will make a crowd but it won't make a Christian. Because without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin. When you say, I don't want to just use Jesus, I want to turn from self, and in my heart, I want to follow him, I want to die with him, and if necessary, I want to die for him, that's repentance. And when that message is not made clear, people buy into a shallow gospel that is not a saving gospel. Third, the paralyzed heart. We've got 15 minutes. Can we do it? Okay, verse 7. Jesus said, then the third, some seed fell among the thorns, and they choked the seeds out. Okay, so you got pathway seed heart. you got a little bit of soil on a rock, seed, party heart. Doesn't make it. Gets tough going down the road. Now Jesus says, some of it fell among the thorns, and the thorns just choked the seed out. And that's what weeds do, isn't it? That's what thorns do. They suck all the nutrients out of the soil, leave nothing for the seed. They suck all the moisture out, and so the seed can't do anything. Verse 18 and 19 of Mark 4, Jesus says, This person is the person for whom the worries of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches chokes out the word. Now, let me try to explain this. The word that Jesus uses here that is translated the worries is a word in the Greek text that actually literally means to be divided. It means to be drawn in two directions. This is what causes this problem. They're divided. They're drawn in two directions. This person is paralyzed, in other words, between two choices. So this is the person who on one side wants the word of the kingdom, hears it and wants it, but on the other side there are things that they also want to hold on to. So he or she is divided between the two and is paralyzed between the two. He's the person who wants Christ, get this, but also wants his life. He wants the gospel, but he also wants the world. He wants one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. Has no intention of turning fully to Christ. He, this is what he wants to do. And this is very prevalent in our culture today. He just wants to tack Jesus onto the life he's not right now living. Jesus doesn't want to tack onto your life. Jesus wants to give new life. That's the gospel. The gospel is new life. Jesus doesn't say, well, let me just tack me onto what you're doing here and you can have us both. This guy's paralyzed. He wants... He wants the gospel, but he also wants his life. And so he's riding the fence. Like the prophet Elijah said to the Old Testament people in First Kings, he said, how long are you going to hesitate between two opinions? I like that. How long are you going to do this, man? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, who was a false god of the nations around the Hebrews, if Baal is God, then follow him. But make a choice. You're paralyzed between two. You see, they wanted to worship Jehovah God and they wanted to worship Baal of the pagans around him. And Elijah said, you can't do that. Get off the fence. If he is Lord, then worship him. If he's not, then worship a false God. You're gonna have to make a choice. And it says the people did not answer him a word. They were paralyzed between the two, the true God and the false God. And the prophet said, you can't have both. Jesus encountered the rich young man, right? Remember that story? And he was a Jew. He was a keeper of the law. He was a religious guy. He was also wealthy. And Jesus said, he came to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus knew. And so he said, well, keep the commandments. Jesus is just setting him up. He said, well, man, I'm at, duh. I've been doing that since I was a boy. I'm a righteous Jew. Jesus knew that. So then Jesus said to him, something that he never said of anybody else. Well, then sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And it says that the rich young man went away sad because he was very wealthy. You see, Jesus, there's nothing spiritual about being poor. Aren't you glad to hear that? And there's nothing unspiritual about having wealth. It's a matter of the heart. What do you worship? What do you worship? What do you worship? What do you worship? And Jesus looked into the heart of this man and he realized that his wealth was really his God. And so Jesus says, you can't have two masters. You'll hate one and love the other one or you'll love one and hate the other one. So you've got to make a choice. And the young man was paralyzed. And so he kept his wealth and walked away from Jesus. And lastly, and you know that means nothing, 
is the productive heart or the prepared heart, verse 8. Here's the fourth seed. Jesus said, some seed fell on the good soil. Wow, thank you, Jesus, some good news. Wow, this has been tough, hasn't it? Some seed fell on the good soil and it yielded a crop. Okay, that's why we sow seed, right? And man, it was a good crop. Some places it was 100 yield. Sometimes it was 60 fold. Sometimes it was 30. You see, the witness, folks, knows that some people will not believe, but knows that some people will believe the testimony so the witness keeps telling what he knows. The town announcer, the herald, knows that some people will not listen to the announcement of danger and they will die, but some will listen and will be helped. And so the herald continues day after day to to preach the warning. You know that every time a storm comes to the southern coast, the Gulf Coast, a tropical storm or a hurricane, they put out red flags on the beach. You know what that means? Stay your butt away. One flag means, hey, this is pretty bad stuff. Two flags means, don't you dare go near the water. If you do, you're breaking the law. You know that you can actually be ticketed if you go in the water when there are two flags on the beach? Of course, getting a ticket's not going to be the biggest of your problems because you're going to be caught in 20, 30-foot waves and you're going to die. But you see, they keep putting those things out every time there's a storm, knowing there's some idiots that aren't going to listen and going to go in the water and lose their life. But they know that that warning is going to save the lives of some. So they keep putting the warning out. You see, we don't stop sowing the seed of the word of the kingdom because some falls on the path, because some falls on the rocky places and because some falls among the thorns. No, we don't stop because of that because we know there's good soil, that God is preparing soil and that some of that seed is going to fall on the good soil. Four kinds of soil. Let me give you two key applications. I'm not going to have a voice for the third service, am I? They're going to rejoice in that. Four kinds of soil, four conditions of the heart. Sow the seed, God is the Lord of the soil. Second, soil can change. See, the goodness of God is that the soil can change. What is packed today can be plowed tomorrow. When the father gets his plow out and starts plowing the hard pathway. Yesterday the seed fell and the birds came and took it away. Next year, the father has done some work and has plowed that soil up. And when you come this time and you sow the seed, it finds good soil. It brings a harvest. How many of you were hard soil? Yeah. <laughs> we specialize in hard soil around here. That means we specialize in idiots that reject the good news over and over and over and sometimes it takes the depths of deprivation for the father to plow the soil but aren't you glad that he did? And aren't you glad that there were people still willing to sow the seed? Yeah, amen. I played a a gig New Year's Eve um, at a country club. I was invited to provide music for a private event. And so I did. 
a couple hours of James Taylor music and stuff like that. And there was a couple there that hadn't joined the club. They were talking with the membership secretary, but she invited them to come that night to the private event. And so they came up and we met each other and had conversation. Um, they invited me to come back last Friday night and I played again, three hours this time for another event. I don't get that many second invitations, so when I get one, I go, yeah. You know, if you're dumb enough to ask me to come back, I'll come. Well, they saw on the announcement that went out to the club members that I was going to be there. And so the guy, he said, he came up to me Friday night. He said, uh, I did some research on you. I went, oh, God, how far back did you go? <laughs> I think those records are sealed, aren't they? <laughs> and he said, no, I found out you're a pastor. And I said, well, that was my day job. But by, my, by night, I'm a rock and roll musician. And uh, he said, no, I don't know who you are. He said, but when I saw that you were coming, that I wanted to come, my wife and I came. And he said, I actually went, went into your, put on the website of the church. And he said, I saw your picture, and I knew it had to be you. Kind of stand out in the crowd. And he said, I listened to that message that you taught last October, which was on Galatians 2.20, if you remember. No, you don't remember. <laughs> Where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he listened to that message, and he said, can we talk? I said, sure. Right now? He said, well, no, you've got to play. I know. I was just on a break. And he said, but, but I, I really would like to talk with you. I said, sure, I'd be glad to. He said, I have some questions. I want to find out where I am. Now, this is a country club, folks. Half of the people are three sheets to the wind. And I'm fixing to start, you know, playing some music again. And I went, yeah, dude. So I gave him my card. <clears throat> and I have one of those fancy cards where you take a picture of it and it puts it in your contact place. He said, no, I really want to talk to you. I need to find out where I am. And I went, wow. This is so cool. I'm not preaching here. He went to the trouble to find that who I was and came specifically I guess not because he thought I was a good musician, but he wanted to talk. I don't know. That may have been an insult. I'm not sure I like that. But anyway, I don't know if he's going to call. But I just thought, you know, isn't that so cool how the Lord is preparing soil? And here I happen to be a sower of seed. Now, maybe last year that guy's heart was so hardened or whatever. I don't know. But I knew obviously the Holy Spirit of God is doing some work in this guy. And I don't have to plow that, that soil. I don't have to do anything. I just got to scatter the seed. And so we'll see what happens. Stay tuned. Because I don't know where it's going. I never do. You never do. All you have to do is be ready and be willing to be a sower of the seed. Because God can take that hardened path. And the next time you encountered it, it's fertile soil. God can take that that rock underneath with a little bit of, and he can just lift that rock out and there's good soil in there. The next time you sow seed, it takes root. It brings harvest. Isn't that good? See, he's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. Sow the seed. Be a seed sower. And some of you may be here today, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're kind of maybe one of these souls that just, you know, you're disillusioned, you're just fed up with it all and you're fed up with religion and you're fed up with false Christianity and you're fed up with people putting on show and putting on airs and you just want, are any of these Christians going to be real? 
Some of you asked that question for a long time before you found City on a Hill, didn't you? And you said, they're too real. Well, maybe it's the day that the Father intends the seed to find a root in you. I'm going to pray for you. Father, how we thank you for the seed of the gospel that looks for soil to find a home and produce a harvest. Thank you for the harvest in the hearts here. Some were disillusioned, some were the party heart, some were petrified. Yet by your work, you brought now the fruit of salvation. I pray for someone in this room this morning that they're kind of caught between two worlds. And your Holy Spirit just shined the light on there and said, it's time to give it up. It's time to make the decision. And I pray, Father, without any emotional appeal or anything at all, your Holy Spirit would just do his work as only he can do and bring a harvest of life, new life, in Jesus today. For we ask it in the name of the one who is able, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the Holy One of God. Amen. Amen. 1045. I'm a good boy. <laughs>